This week, we wonder what the chances of anything ever coming from Mars are. We get in a filmic muddle involving Paul Newman, Don Amici, David Niven, and Warren Beatty, with some Chris Rock thrown in for good measure. And it, it had to happen at some point. We finally address the massive elephant that has overshadowed the entire cinematic year of 2015 in the shape of a little soap opera being released in December. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. It's Friday night. This is Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight, and that means it can only be time for your blast of movie nostalgia. The time when those who were lucky enough to see these films the first time round remember their misspent youth, while those of us who weren't lucky enough to see these films get insanely jealous that nothing like this will probably ever happen again. My name is Tosin, and I will be your host for the next hour. With me in the studio are Sharon. Hello. And Sean. Hi there. And also joining us from the relative comfort of her bed in the in hospital in Alveston Ward is Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Great. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Yeah, it's good. It's great that you could join us today. Now, on the show, we usually have a couple of sections where we talk about films. We have a section where we talk about a bona fide classic, which is a film that one of us has picked and said, this is amazing. This is great. Everybody should actually watch this film and probably already has. Then we have a patient choice, which is where we're going to come into, go into the hospital and speak to, well, people from our pet ward, Alveston. This week we speak to Tracy, and uh, where they pick a film, either the first one they ever saw or the favorite film of all time. Then we talk about a film. Today, somebody has gotten in touch with us on Facebook and has suggested a film that we should talk about. And uh, I think it's, it's put this in the in the bracket of it's a sort of hidden gem. It's a film that not that many people know, but or not many people have seen, but quite frankly should have. And we shall end up today with an exception to the rule, which is a film that has been made after 1980, but is still good enough to be mentioned in the same breath as all these other films. You guys okay with that? Yep, cool with me. Sure, yeah, that's good. That's okay, good. Okay, Tracy, you okay? I'm just going to assume you said yes. All right. <laughs> and now, first up, we're going to... I'm wondering how I should do this round. Okay, I'm going to play some music because this is a film that Sharon has, Sharon has chosen. And this is probably... It's not from the film, but it's probably one of the most well-known examples of that well of music that came from this original story anyway let's see whether you can guess what it is Chances of anything coming from Mars, a million to one, he says. Yes. I'll, I'll give you a thousand points if you can tell me his scientist mate who actually says that. Anyone right. know, Sharon? Do you what, know in the original story. Yeah, in that, in that, from in, sorry, says I went to, I went to go and see my scientist friend, and he's got a name. Can't remember. I think it was Ogilvy. I think. Oh, that does sound about right. Yeah. No, he talks about the the artilleryman, doesn't he? That's who right. Meets that's a bit. That's a bit later. Yeah, but I think he goes. I went to see. Ogilvy to ask about it and um, that's when that song comes on ah, it's a good great musical. great great album terrific yeah. album and it was updated recently at the cinema actually uh, they did a, like a live version with um, yeah, Liam Neeson Liam Neeson yeah they did well we're not we're, sorry, well, sorry I yeah. love the Jeff Wayne <laughs> I have to say I <laughs> okay, am okay. a musical buddy but okay. I do love it but what we're talking about we're talking about of course 
War, War of, of the, the Worlds. Worlds. Yeah. If anybody didn't understand what that was all about, that was obviously an excerpt from Jeff Wayne's concept album based all on H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. And Sharon, now this is a film that has been adapted God knows how many times yeah. and it's been on screens. I mean, most recently, like, you know, with Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise and Steven yeah. Spielberg, uh, where they moved everything over to. So which which version have you chosen and why? In keeping with the show, and it's my favourite version, I've chosen the 1953 one. Good call, good call. It's directed, <laughs> I've just given the few facts, I like to give the facts first. <laughs> it was directed by Byron Haskin, who is best known for his special effects. He, his the early career in the 30s and 40s, he was known for doing special effects, which is why I think when War of the Worlds, this version, first came out, it was groundbreaking in its use of special effects. Mm-hmm. And it stars Gene Barry and Anne Robinson this is their best known work for both of them they were they had long careers but this was their the sort of the, their best known screen of cinema okay. for both of them Gene Barry went on to do lots of television but this was his big his what he's most known most known, known for. for in cinema yeah and yeah there so and it was made in 1953 one little fact i found out that Gene Barry his this was his obviously one of his big starring roles in the 50s, his last screen appearance was in the 2005 version of War of the Worlds. <laughs> a nice little cameo. He they do that a lot. He a tiny little cameo in it, yeah, but that was his last ever screen appearance before yeah. his death. Yeah, you've got, to, you've got to respect your elders. You've got to respect where you came from. Yeah. <laughs> so it's also a good nod towards the fact that this was a groundbreaking film in So, okay, now, th- is, this is the one that has the Martians coming in and sort of flying saucers. They have this sort of stalk on, the, on their head, is yes. it? Yes. They yeah. have the sort of sort of like bendy stalk and yeah, just very sort of like fires yeah. laser, laser beams at people. That's right. Yeah, yeah so it's the, obviously the original novel was written by H.G. Wells. It's set in England in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very much of its time. Yeah. And then this has been taken to the 1950s rural America. It starts off in small town rural America and the people are, are gathering for like their picnic or their sort of just town gathering mm-hmm. and they see this shooting star that starts to slow down and then it crashes into a field nearby yeah and they all think it's just this really strange meteorite that has just landed and then some locals go to explore and thinking hang on that's not a meteorite and then you see the the lid unscrewing and then this sort of head thing pops up this triangular shaped head with a glowing is it yeah it's like a three colored eye isn't it it's got red blue and I, I love the noise it makes. It's like, <laughs> and it has a look about, and then it sees these people, and then it's, and they're waving wake flowers, going, "Yeah, we come in peace. Oh, well, I want to make friends with you." And then it zaps them with a heat ray, <laughs> and that sets the tone for the rest of the film that these are not friendly aliens. These are not ET. Okay. These are zappy, zappy aliens. All right, you know, you know what you said about this film being influential. Yeah. Uh, when you, as, as you, the fact that you've just described that scene. It just explains to me where they got that from in Mars Attacks. Yeah. yeah. Because Mars Attacks, the, the initial contact with the aliens is more or less exactly like that. Only like it's definitely played for laughs. Yeah. <laughs> well, these are quite three like comedy characters. So you think, oh, it's going to be okay. Because there's like a sort of ethnic gentleman. You don't kind of want, he's, he's like a bit of a comedy character. Yeah. He's like a town drunk type guy. And so there you think, oh yeah, who would hurt them? They're quite harmless. Mm-hmm. And then they're like zapped and you see they're like the, the shadow of their skeletons through their bodies and then that oh. turned into piles of dust. 
Oh, that's where you. That, that's like a really, really famous special effect where they get zapped yeah. and like the it glows kind it glows of green. Really then you see, then you see the silhouette of the skeleton, then yes. it just sort of crumbles to dust. And then you see the and then you see this outline of these figures in dust on the ground. Oh, good lord! And there's another. Uh, it's so many. I think it's so influential. And when you do finally get to see the aliens, it's got like these three fingered hands. And at one point, our hero and heroine they fled from these aggressive aliens and uh-huh. they're hiding in a farmhouse, and. Uh, an alien ship almost crash lands near them and it goes to explore what's going on and it spots this lady and it creeps up behind it as you do and then you see this three-fingered hand like creeping over her shoulder Mm -hmm. and she freezes and she does the most she's the best screamer I think in 1950s American (laughs) cinema and she sort of freezes and she's got this really you know oh my goodness look on her face and she turns and you see this really spindly, ugly, little, funny alien thing with a big eye in the middle of its head, this glowing eye. So, and it looks like E.T. It does look like E.T. with the long, I, thin arms. I, I, I like it. I like that bit because when he throws a spanner at it yeah. and it goes, like that, and the little <laughs> thing goes, ah. Goes, you don't see much of it, but you just do see the outline. It sort of runs off. And, and then, it's got these really long, thin arms that wave above its head, like E.T. used to do. You know, he used to wave his arms oh, above sure, his head. Sean, sure, have you ever considered doing Foley work? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, this is also where you have that the the sort of iconic poster of the Earth with a three finger hand coming over it. Is yeah. it is that that? Oh. Well, that suckers on the end of the fingers. That's They're that's like the a, new film, isn't it? They use that for the new film. Yeah, they use it for the new. Okay, cool. All right, good. All right. But it is. It's where they obviously got it from this film, and there's so many other things that you think that's where they got that idea from. But their spaceships are like these triangular shaped ships with like glowing green wing tips and things yeah. and they fly about and when they're attacked by conventional weapons you see this like dome appear over them like this force field and that's on about conventional weapons that's yeah. my one of my favorite bits in the film is when all the military turn up with the tanks and all that yeah they try to take them down and he goes guns tanks planes they're useless against them <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's, I've actually it's got that line written down. Have you? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, because prob- it is it's probably... the iconic line from the film. <laughs> They're like toys against them. Yeah, and everyone speaks with this heightened, you know, you're fools, you're fools, we're all doomed. <laughs> it's really this heightened emotion and drama okay. all the way through okay because okay they always say that with sci-fi that it's they they're never really about the time that they're set they're more about they're about the time in which they're made yes so it's it's like if it's set in the future it's actually talking so in the 50s like because obviously it's communism isn't it often yeah so because obviously you i mean you had the orson wells um radio version of war of the worlds which is infamous because he did it he, he adapted it and made it sound like it was a news program yes that this is actually happening and this is what the news programs would have been saying at the time and people switched on not hearing the beginning of it and thought it was actually happening for real yeah. and there was widespread pandemonium all like that, all over that's new. right yeah so famous. yeah because because people had that kind of fear of the unknown at that time and it was like really really in the water and so in the 50s you reckon it was a communism thing that they were like yeah they're worried they were about this invader on. yeah because yeah, this is like a an invader that just is like the terminator is absolutely relentless it doesn't stop um you see a bit where the priest goes out he's like no i'm going to use the power of prayer against these things and he walks out with his bible and he holds it up and they take one look at him and they zap him so it's do, almost what, like what, saying what, do you know what he's reading sharon as he's walking along. Is it, no, is it it's Revelation? Just, no, it's a psalm, isn't it? Psalm, uh, yeah, I walk in there. Uh, oh, it's 23rd psalm. Yeah, 23rd psalm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow yeah. of death, I shall fear no 
Yeah, so it's like almost like religion will <laughs> fail against it. The army will fail against it. It's because like everything will have will fail against methods, it. It's just all these things, wasn't it? That it was like this strong military power, that mm -hmm. it was, had no religion, and it was fearful to the, all these people in those days. But the, the thing about the the sort of the weakness of the aliens in this sort of invasion story is that they were technologically strong, but they were physically weak. Yeah. So you get the feeling they're saying to the communists, you know, hey, you might be physically strong and you might have all these things going for you, but actually you're ideologically weak. So mm. they tend to try to yeah put, put those put, put those things in there. there. But no, I just think it's a great it's a great film. It's you have to take it in its time. Yeah. And actually, but for its time, they they've got the feel right, that sense of you know paranoia and. And the effects. drama and the effects were groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah, you see, I think, I think as well. Also, it was the nuclear thing as well because yes, the, 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 the bit age. we were talking about with with the armies there, they're actually in a bunker. Mm -hmm. And and if you see the actual the actual real footage of the the atomic tests, the soldiers are in the same uniform with like goggles on, and and but they walk towards the explosion, and yeah. and it really really reminded me of the of one of the atom bomb tests as yeah, well. Yeah, because there's one bit where bit. they try to bomb them out of existence, don't they? And you, they, they do. all turn their backs. It's like, yeah, yeah that's going to help you. <laughs> big flash. <laughs> and this big flash. And, and then you see them covered in all this white dust. <laughs> yeah, that's think, it, exactly. Oh, yeah. you're all doomed. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, okay, talking about the influence of it, because I think of the... When you talk about sort of space invasion, alien invasion movies, mm. the, the sort of uh, classic... You would use classic, but... It's a qualified classic. Yeah. In, it's Independence Day. So the 1994 movie. And even the, the spaceships that they yeah, use the, in Independence Day that the, the aliens the, use. The fast ones. Yeah. yeah, the fast ones look a bit like the ones yes, from War of the Worlds. Yes, they, they do. And I think, I think there is no... They make no bones of the fact that in Independence Day was more or less kind of a homage oh, slash ripoff yeah. of War of the Worlds. They yeah. made absolutely no bones about that. Because you have almost like, it focuses on the ordinary people, it doesn't focus on the military, it focuses on, it sort of boils it down. Like yeah. in this story, the main characters played by Jean Barry and Anne Robinson. They're, he's like a scientist and she's like a small town lady and they get together and but they, they end up thrown together and mm -hmm. then they flee across country and they, they sort of flee to his university because he's like a professor or something. And you see it through their eyes. You see everything unfold through their eyes. They just happen to be in the bunker with the military, in, with the scientists in the university. Yeah, so... With the, the panicked refugees on the hillside and then they flee to a church in the end. So... Mm -hmm. They, you see the whole thing unfold through their eyes, which obviously brings it down to a personal level. Has anybody read the original story by H.G. Wells? I'm ashamed to say I haven't. Yeah, and, and they're actually like um, a lot of them. They have them with tripods, but in in the book, they have actually got legs, and and they've got different war machines. They've okay. Got, so it's it's um, and obviously takes place. There's a there's a really nice statue of a tripod on um, Woking. If you get off Woking station, train station. Oh yeah. Because you can actually. Because there is a, they've, they've got a tripod and a, you know big. Did H.G. Wells live in Woking or something? Well, the, in the book, it takes place on Horsell Common, which is a common just outside. Oh right, gotcha. Outside Woking, oh, yeah. um, it's like a big common. Yeah, that's that's in the book. That's where it takes place, nice. and that's where the the first cylinder lands type of thing. So, so yeah. So I mean, when we think about it, so this is a story that endures. This is a story that is. It doesn't matter what era has happened. Like the Cold War has been, has gone, mm. and, and but it's the this story keeps coming back. I know, like I know, like when they. When um, Steven Spielberg made his version with Tom Cruise, the instead of the Cold War, the big allegory was sort of like nine eleven. Yeah, was nine eleven and and with what's even happened in the world recently, like yeah. last week, it's something that still has 
So this what, resonance, yeah. yeah. So this w- alien sort of you regard because people the way they talk about these terrorist acts, mm-hmm. they talk to them about as if they are alien, don't they? They say they're not human. The people who do this aren't human. Mm-hmm. So you can say, yeah, you're treating them like they are aliens. Yeah. So it, you can see the parallels. So, so do you reckon that? Well, what I'm thinking is, what did H.G. Wells tap into in like the? What was it that he tapped into in his original story that makes that has just made this thing endure forever? Oh, that's interesting. That, that fear is of the foreign. Yeah, be- yeah, because I'm Yeah, because he, he didn't write it in this in the in the 1950s when there was no. a Cold War. He wrote it in the 1800s. 1800s. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've, I'm just like, oh, was it was it just like you know, just a general human fear of the unknown? Yeah, because he was in that cusp. He was a Victorian, then he became an Edwardian, didn't he? So he the world was changing around him when he was growing up because they had like like we've had our queen on the throne for over six years. They had Victoria for over sixty years. So. Mm-hmm. I suppose it was marking the end of that era, and it's like, what is the future going to hold? I guess a lot of his work mm. is looking at the future, isn't it? like, and what's the future going to be? I without? guess as well. Mm. I guess as well, like with with aeroplanes and things, they would have all been starting. You know, cars, aeroplanes, oh, all yeah. that type of thing mm. would have started. So, I mean, oh, did did he write things to come as well? He wrote Time Machine. Time Machine, yeah. He wrote things Time Machine, Invisible sure, Man. There's a film, yeah. there's a brilliant film, Raymond Massey film, sorry to go off here, yeah, called Things to Come. Great mm-hmm. music from everything. And that's all, that was all like towards the future. But that had, I mean, and, and when it was made, there weren't like jet planes and stuff or, or trains, but that, this is all in this film. So so maybe it was a bit to do with the, just, you know, just plain, you know, the Industrial Revolution perhaps. The constantly was, changing yeah. nature of the with, world. Because if you read the books, the machines more or less like walk on legs. Mm-hmm. So they've got one which is like the heat ray and one which is, it's, it's quite a good book. It's not a very long book, so it's e- easy to read. But yeah. I'm thinking perhaps more on the mechanical side rather than any, yeah. uh, you know, the fear of... of um, oh, I guess uh, it's, it's almost a fear of technology. Technology, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe, like that, perhaps. That technology yeah. will eventually overtake us. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it will, but I'm not sure it was, but, but it just it's seems that that, that, that that sort of era, all the industrial revolution, steam engines, or everything yeah. was all... Yeah. And ultimately, uh, what overcomes these aliens yeah. is not the big technology. It's not the big battles. It's in the film. It's it's bacteria, isn't it? It's like they. It's the it's the fact that they they're not physically strong, germs. so they the germs. Yeah, is is that they're, they're not adapted to the human germs. Yeah, and in the book, I think do they not eat people, and yeah, that's why they, yeah, they get well, well, sick. In the yeah, I mean, I think in the Tom Cruise movie, don't they take they the blood? To, yeah, they don't they harvest the blood? Suckers. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, the thing is, I just remember because in the Jeff Wayne version, the album War of the mm. Worlds, I think that was the first time I'd ever encountered the whole story in full. What some of my friends yeah. when I, well, like I was in a boarding school and some of my friends were playing it, and it was when I got to the end and I was like, wait, what happened? So what? They all they all got a f- the flu and died. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> that's yeah. It, yeah, it's like yeah. what? So, and I was thinking, well, actually, that's. That's probably the most satisfying conclusion to an alien invasion story I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it's, sense. It's, 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 essentially, it's essentially the humans. It's, I guess the whole thing, like technology comes up and it's like technology will not be defeated by technology, but there is going to be something human yes. <laughs> that just, that just yeah. gets rid of them. Yeah. Something human and totally out of our control that gets rid of them. So, yeah, it's oh, cool. So anything you want to say about final thing to say on War of the World show? No, I just say watch it. Because even if you think, oh, it's old, it's not going to be that good, it's still good. It's still, it's still really, good. really good. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great film. Yeah. Great choice. 
Yeah, cool. That's why we call this show They Don't Make a Movie. <laughs> they just don't do that anymore. The story will never die. Stories will always... Uh, anyway, never mind. But <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox. Now, it's time for us to go to the hospital. So every Friday evening, I go into the hospital to our pet ward, Alveston. Everybody on three. One, two, three. Alveston, no oh, Alveston. And scene. So, <laughs> so yeah, we go to Alveston, our pet ward, and we speak to somebody. This week, we spoke to you, Tracy. Tracy, thank you very much for giving us something great to talk about um yeah and we asked two questions what is the favorite uh, the first film you ever went to the see in the cinema tell us a story of that and what's your favorite film of all time and tracy tracy is one of those people that like you know i think a whole bunch of people are going to look at and go what you you were there (laughs) (laughs) because i'm just going to play tracy's interview and you'll hear what it was that she remembers seeing quite early on and at the cinema right when i went to see star wars i that was in 77, so I would have been 16, and I would have gone with my f- two friends from school, Karen and Sue, Sandown High. Um, we loved the film, really, really enjoyed it, and it got me on the loving Star Wars so much that I can't wait for this one to come out next month, the new one. Um, I'm a big film fan anyway. I've got about 800 DVDs of films, but that is definitely, Star Wars is in my top 10. Definitely, like all the actors, um, I don't know. There's nothing bad about it, <laughs> unless you don't like Star Wars. But unless you absolutely hate sci-fi. I like. See, this is it. I like sci-fi. I like, I like aliens as well. I like all the alien films. Um, but yeah, what else would you like to know? <laughs> okay, so so Star Wars. Obviously, you saw it the first time when it came out. Like yes, the original. Yeah, seventy-seven. We're talking yeah. about. So. Um, Obviously, there was there was talk about it being a phenomenon and how there were like mm. queues around the block. Oh yeah, yeah. So so for instance, how long did you have to wait to get tickets? How how long did you have to queue up for? Oh crikey! Well, obviously it's a <laughs> it's a long time ago. I know I saw it in probably Sandown or Shanklin cinemas, so it'd be the Queens or the Regal, and there was a queue. In fact, it was Sandown because the queue went right round um, round to the high street. Yeah, from yeah. So it was, it was, it was at Sandown. I saw it. Yeah, can't really remember much, much else about that. I just wish the cinema was still there. But you know, mm. sorry, I'm a bit. Oh. No, no, no problem. <laughs> From what I hear, I know that a lot of the cinemas have been good. Like I heard that there was one in Lake and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there was one in Lake. Yeah, and of course, the, the Rex in Ventnor, that's gone as well. I mean, I go to the cinema a lot, um, but I, because I live around the corner from the one in Ride, literally two minutes. And it's half the price of Newport without driving. I go there, you know, I've, I've, what have I seen recently? I've seen Jupiter Ascending. Um, uh, the best brilliant film was um, like, uh, Mars. Oh, The Martian. The Martian, yeah, that was phenomenal. Put that in my top ten. Pan. Okay, yeah. Saw that a little while ago. Um, oh, Bond. Not a Bond fan. But my friend wanted to go, so I said, I'll go. But <laughs> to, that was very busy. But to, to me, it was just like all the other ones. Uh, well, so I was obviously want to see the next Star Wars, but see how, see how this heals up. But, um, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's okay. I was, oh, dear. I was like, gobbledygook. <laughs> no, 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 that was actually good. That was very coherent. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, cool. So thank you very much, Tracy. At Star Wars in 77. There you go. First time round, joining the queues all the way around the block in the one of the films that actually defer, define the term blockbuster. Yeah. It I did. went to see it in 77 as well. You see how, I, I think I mentioned this before, after this, with my dad working over the football club, they used to have posters for what was on at the cinema and yeah. there must have been... 20 original Star Wars posters when it came out yeah, and they were just up there and, and I mean I had two and I put one on the ceiling on the, the ceiling of my bedroom yeah, and just left it there and I mean they're, they're worth a fortune now aren't they yeah. the I used to have it up ones, there yeah. the, origi- yeah, the, the original one I had Close Encounters which was sort of the same year Close Encounters the third yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Um, one of my favourite obviously Assault on Precinct 13 I wish I still had that poster but it was all my <laughs> mum decorated my room when I was on my travels and uh, so they, they obviously <laughs> went in the back, bin yeah I threw them all in the bin yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah but, but I yeah, mean you forget the days of having to queue to see the cinema as Tracy was saying though I have to say to Sharon and Tracy that's a the start of a bad joke isn't it sometimes yeah, it does sound like but that but we yeah. were, <laughs> 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 I wouldn't Sharon I wouldn't <laughs> no, you would read that type of thing okay. <laughs> the comic I'm talking about oh yeah, yeah. okay the, the, that's from Viz isn't it I think it is, yeah. yeah. Oh, both. The, oh yeah. the fat slags, yeah. That's oh, it. You <laughs> Can you say <laughs> that? <laughs> that's not. Like... That was it. That was it. Okay, good, cool. I, I don't. We're, know. we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, no, we're, we're, no, we're, we're going to go, go back, back to movies. Okay, but cool. I was thinking, oh. I do remember queuing up in the cinema, not to see. Certainly, I queued up to see the the first trilogy. I was a child when I saw with my brothers. I went to see Star Wars the original, same as Tracy yeah. did. Yeah. And then I queued to see Empire Strikes Back and queued to see Return of the Jedi. And it was in Newport High Street where. What's the name of the pub? I Yates's. always get this wrong. Yates. Yates, yeah. Yates. Yeah. So that was where the cinema was. And the queue went round the corner into the square. <laughs> oh, good Lord. That was where you joined the queue. <laughs> you see, because that's, that's what I was saying, like in the, uh, I was saying in the intro to the show, that that's not going to happen ever again. No, you're never going to see not, that. You're never going to see, you're never going to see people queuing up round the block to see no. any, or about the, maybe a concert, but that's, that's kind of different. Yeah. But you're never going to see that, that for a film. If the doors were open, because if the doors were shut and then you catch, because they wouldn't let you in the foyer yeah. until they were ready to let you start getting your seat. So, and they had three flights of stairs. So you knew if you joined the queue round the corner at Watson, Bull and Porter, as it was then, I don't yeah. know what it is now. I can never remember these things. You could get in if you joined at the if, corner. If you joined there, there's, there was enough space. And if you. the doors were shut. But then if they opened the doors and you moved down, you knew that you wouldn't get in if you uh, had to queue back to Watson Bull and Porter because it was too far. <laughs> yeah, just, just go home. They would just put their... Because they'd have someone on the stairs and they'd counting everyone. And mm-hmm. then when the last ticket was sold, they'd go, right, and they'd put their hand in front of you and you just had to wait for the next film. <laughs> no way. Man. Uh, okay. Right, now, um, Tracy did actually... Um, I asked her whether she wanted us to play anything particularly, and she just said, just choose something from Star Wars. Well, okay, yeah, no, no hard at all. So first, <laughs> <laughs> off the bat, I decided I was going to ignore the obvious because... I said, you're not going to Mos Eisley, are we? Uh, no, I was like, we're going to ignore the obvious because... <laughs> that's going to be all over the place in about a month's yeah. time. You're not going to be able to move. They're going to play it on the news and everything like that. So the choices that I had, I decided I was thinking about this. The Imperial March. Yeah, the Imperial March. I was thinking about this, but I was thinking, uh, maybe not so much. So I was thinking, okay, what else could we actually get? What else could we actually possibly play about Star Wars? And I was There's thinking of nightclub one, isn't it? I was it? thinking about this. No, I decided that John Williams. Oh, yeah. I had a disco, twelve-inch disco version of that, <laughs> and he still danced to it now. 
No, that that I just, I, but I thought that John Williams has just made so many. He did such good music yeah. for for essentially all six Star Wars movies. Because whatever you think about the prequels, the music you can't argue with. Yep. You really, really kind of argue with the I music. Think, I, the, the, you know the Star Wars theme. Du, 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 du. Yeah, that was. I think we've mentioned this before, but it's the actual music. King's Row. It's Congo. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. It goes up. Yeah, Congo. Uh, yeah. The, the first couple of the first yeah, couple yeah, yeah. of notes where he essentially borrowed them yeah from, borrowed them, <laughs> yeah. from another from another brilliant composer <laughs> so i decided that i was just going to forgo joe williams totally and play this instead which tells you the story of the star wars saga enjoy especially if you're a barry manilow fan <laughs> help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope her name was lady Yes. <laughs> Where did you get that? I've never heard that. You never heard that before. I've never heard that before. That, that's that's weird. brilliant. Yeah, it's weird. Al Yankovic. I, do you know? I've, I've, I know loads. Like Amish Paradise. Like, <laughs> eat, oh yeah, eat it. But I haven't heard that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's weird. Al Yankovic called it, it was Star, Yankovic. Wars, yeah. Star Wars Cantina. He actually did another one for Star Wars Episode One called um, The Saga Continues, where he sings the entire plot of Star Wars Episode One to the tune of American Pie. Wow. I'll have to, I, I, I have to look. <laughs> that is just mad. I'll be checking some of those out. Mad, yes. but brilliant. Yeah, Tracy, hope was, you enjoyed that. There was, there was, it's quite funny, really, because um, the, during that Star Wars time, a lot of the song, a lot of the records were, I mean, there was that song Starship Troopers. Yeah, I there. Fell yeah, in love with, with a Starship Trooper. Trooper. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's good. That I'm going to check that one. I should, yeah, should. because it, it did affect everything. Even, I mean, something else that Tracy mentioned was Bond, Bond was the yeah. fact that I think the next Bond film was supposed to be The Spy Who Loved Me. But because Star Wars was so big, they switched it around and they rushed Moonraker. Moonraker, Moonraker and, yeah. Which is why some people say Moonraker is not that good a film because they kind of rushed it a bit. Yeah. Because they were, hang on a second, everything is all about space. So let's send James Bond into space. <laughs> yeah, you had loads, didn't you? Battlestar Galactica. There was like loads yeah, of them. Yeah, Battle yeah, Stars. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Battlestar Galactica came around. Fighter, loads of them. Yeah, well, yeah, they all came around to sort of, uh, to cash in on Star Wars. Star Wars. And the funny thing I always thought about it is because George Lucas, obviously he had to fight to get the first Star Wars made and it's taken so much out of him that by the time the film was released, he was like, I did, he didn't want to know anymore. He was actually on holiday in Hawaii when the film was released and people had to sort of phone him up and go, oh my God, they're queuing up around the block. This, this is, is like big. the biggest film ever. <laughs> didn't he, I think he, he, took a cut of the merchandise didn't he rather than oh, yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than a, a big salary yeah, or he, he like. kept he kept he he owned the rights for everything which yeah. was just which is why he's essentially not has to he doesn't have to work ever again ever again <laughs> so how nice it, it, it just doesn't he doesn't have to do anything ever again because but doesn't he live on skywalker ranch so he, he knows that he, that's or what he knows made, that this, yeah, this he knows is, this is what this is what yeah this is what is paying for the next but few do you think generations it, of his family he suffered artistically because he's never been had the same creativity after this has he yeah well, well that the, his success almost like was the death of his well, creativity know, for doing something new because you have the you have the movie Bratz which is like you know it's like um, Francis Ford Coppola Steven Spielberg yeah. George Lucas I think uh, was Miller's Foreman part of them as well and Francis Ford Coppola he says that he says when Star Wars became uh, became a success America lost the most innovative filmmaker that they ever had yeah. because all of a sudden George Lucas he became about Star Wars 
he became about Star Wars. So that's why I mean he took he didn't he didn't direct another film for twenty years after no, the first like one. No, it sucked the creativity out of him. Didn't it, I it? think I think it, it took it took everything he had. Yeah. So and even now I, th- I think he eventually that's why he eventually sold Lucasfilm to Disney. He was like, you know what, I don't really have anything else to do with this. And yeah. I, he said himself that he wants to get back to making small films. I think a bit like more like the American Graffiti. Yeah, because when you see he did American Graffiti, he did THX one one three eight. These were really corking films. His early stuff, mm. and then. Yeah, Star Wars happened, which was an amazing thing. But for him, it was like a tragedy because we're never going to see what his imagination could have produced. Well, I, I think that there's still time. I think there's still time for George Lucas. Uh, he's, uh, I'm, you know, he did actually make another film. It was like a small black and white movie, but it, no one, no many people knew about it. But it's, I still, I'm, I'm still looking forward to see what else he's going to come up with now that he's got sort of like Lucasfilm off his plate so he can focus on things that are not Star Wars. But um, thank you so much for that, Tracy. Uh, great. And I think we'll talk after seven o'clock, we'll talk about looking forward to the next Star Wars movie, looking forward to the new Star Wars movie and seeing what we can expect from that. And uh, now we have a section on the show which are, where we talk about hidden gems. So old films that were made, which are brilliant, but nobody has really, really watched. And we have a guy who is more or less stalking us, Tib, you again, <laughs> but, yeah, talking us on Facebook. Tiff has given us a whole bunch of suggestions. I don't really blame him. I blame all the other people who didn't make suggestions. So, so and Tiff has suggested a film called Somebody Up There Likes Me. This is a 1953 movie starring Paul Newman as Rocky Graciano. We had a little bit of confusion because we heard somebody up there likes me. I thought this had to do with heaven. So we, I think we got it confused with heaven we, we, can we, wait. Yeah, we did. Big, that, that was that was me, really. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. We, we got it confused with heaven where we think, oh, that's a David Niven one. After all, I know that's a matter of life and death. Yeah. That's a Don Amici <laughs> one. Yeah. It was like, no, 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 that's that's heaven can wait. That's the Warren Beatty one. No, that's the remake of the... <laughs> and then we had the Chris Rock one, Down to Earth, which is a remake of Heaven Can Wait. But no, it's none of those films. It is a 1953 movie star... No, 56, sorry, movie starring Paul Newman as Rocky Graziano, the American boxing legend. And from that film, here is Perry Como, who somebody actually requested Perry Como on the show the last time we did it. But here's Perry Como singing the theme music, Somebody Up There Likes Me. Somebody up there likes me. Somebody up there likes me. Yep, Perry Como. You know the thing is that he's as the the person on the show a, a couple of weeks ago said he had just such a smooth voice and mm. he took his time with it, didn't stretch. It just makes me realize how quickly I speak. <laughs> you saw when I finished speaking, I put on pericoma, and he's like, "Young man, what is the problem? Let's just take a time." <laughs> so yes, that's from the beginning of somebody up there up there likes me, well, starring Paul Newman. That shows up right at the beginning of the film with shots of uh, shots of New York because it's all it's all set in New York where Rocky Marciano grew up mm-hmm. in an Italian American family and all that. Oh no, no. I said Marciano, no Graziano. Graziano, Graziano, yeah. Graziano. Yeah, yeah that's it's it's quite funny. Oh, but first of all, it was directed by Robert Wise, and now this guy, I, I'm beginning to think that this the guy is sound of music. Robert yeah, Wise. Okay. I'm, I'm beginning to think I'm beginning to think that this guy is quietly the best director ever, because there have been a couple of times that people have suggested a film and go, oh, great yeah. film, gotta watch this film, brilliant, and 
we go up and we look and we go, okay, who's there? Oh, it's Robert Wise. It's him again. And it's the ages, and all different films. They're all totally different films. Yeah. So this one is like a biopic that sort of like you know starts off in it's it's a guy as a kid who grows up as a street urchin yeah. and he's always getting into fights and all that kind of stuff. You have Sound of Music, which is you know big, wonderful musical classic. Uh, yeah. You have the well, West Side Story, another big massive musical. Then you have The Haunting, which you spoke about Haunting, on a Halloween yeah. show, which is regularly said one of the creepiest films of all yeah. time which is just brilliant all down to the directing yeah. yeah brilliant because of the atmosphere I'm thinking that this guy must have he's just like you know, one of the best directors ever that he just quietly kept quiet yeah. nobody really knew about it and it's just uh, I'm, I, I made me think I need to have like a Robert Wise season <laughs> and just sit down and just screen movies by Robert Wise at home because I think that there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of hidden gems in there quality there yeah and also I mean this film as well is notable for being one of the first real starring roles that Paul Newman had, where because but he the way he said okay like put him up there and let him actually carry the film. It's also the debut movie for an actor called Robert Loggia, who was in Independence Day. He's you been in lots of things. He's been in loads of things, and I was telling Sean earlier that I've always thought I always wondered why nobody cast him and Gene Hackman as brothers, because I figured that that could actually work quite well. Yeah, and it's also the debut film appearance for Steve McQueen. Yeah, he's like a. Kid isn't it? In it? Well, the, well, well, he's a teenager type. Well, he's supposed to be like a teenager type because the the role, the original, the role was originally um, made for James Dean. James Dean was lined up to star in it, but he died the year before the film was made, and that's why they went to Paul Newman. So, and you can see why because a lot of the kids that um, Rocky Graziano grew up with were kind of like the Robert Wallach without a cause types. They were they were always ending up in like juvenile detention and ended up in Catholic prefectories and the police were after them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It just, they were always in trouble. And it's, so you can see why they went with that. But there's, and there's a scene, the, the Steve McQueen isn't in it for long, but when you actually see him show up, he shows up and he's carrying a switch knife, which is very, very reminiscent <laughs> of Rebel Without a Cause. And he sort of turns on, he's like, what? And all that. And it's uh yeah, but it it's it's a very good film. It's a, I have seen it. You've seen yeah, it. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah. yeah I, I don't not recently. So I'm racking my brains. I remember scenes between him and his wife more than anything. Do they not have a child in it as well? And yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they when do. he comes home and he's all battered up, they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. The baby's I like, think, oh, it's your daddy. Yeah. I I think that the best bit is when the girl asks him. He's in a bar, and the girl. Oh, I always remember that. Um, asks says, "Oh, would, you know, can you tell me the directions to?" Oh yeah, 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 he's yeah, like yeah. he he sort of wants to, and he does, and he goes, "Oh, I better walk you to the subway." Yeah, oh, I better <laughs> get on the subway with you. Yeah. And he's just like really, really shy. And, but but it's got a great accent in it, isn't he? I mean, oh, yeah, proper yeah. proper New York. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it is. It's it's the most different I've ever seen Paul Newman yeah. be. Yeah, because it's he's putting on like this sort of like you know Italian New York accent and all that kind of stuff, and he's and even like even physically the way it is like you're talking about. The, the the way that he, he manages to convey this sort of like big because usually when you have Newman you kind of get like this you know really confident guy who just yeah, shows yeah. up and it's kind of like yeah my eyes are blue and they're twinkly yeah, I know a, a twinkle at you <laughs> and that's my thing yeah because I think in that bit she keeps trying to shake his hand he goes oh thanks Rocky and he's like puts yeah. his hands in his pockets and he's all fumbling <laughs> around and like yeah, well, you know. yeah no, it's, and, it's like and they're in the cinema as well there's a scene in the cinema oh yeah and, this, and he's like he's like halfway down <laughs> yeah, his chair yeah. because he's getting he's getting it's really a romantic really, film yeah. he's getting really oh <laughs> really un- uncomfortable because people on the screen are kissing and he's like oh what are we watching this for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he really does get a- across that whole thing of like a kid who's trying to just 
Like he's, he's, he doesn't know yeah. what to do. Really. Yeah, he doesn't he's know what to do. He's not really yeah. grown up yet, hasn't he? No, his body's grown up, but he hasn't grown he up. Has, he hasn't grown up. And there's the bit where he gets drafted into the army and then he's in the captain's office <laughs> and then he gets annoyed and he punches the ca- captain. After he knocks the captain out, he sort of like goes, and you can see on his face, he kind of goes, uh-oh. uh-oh, what did I just do? <laughs> then he escapes. He runs away from the army and he tries to get, he tries to raise money through like, you know, the, the oh, well, by this time he's doing boxing, but usually he tries to raise money by stealing things from people and then selling them to other people and all that kind of stuff. So he, he's, he's doing boxing, but he's trying to raise enough money so he can go and bribe the captain in the army to keep his mouth shut about <laughs> the fact that he knocked him out. And it's, and it's actually very, very funny. You have like, there are all these moments where it's not, because one of his boxing mats on about that, and, and it's for the, it's, he's fighting an army guy, and there's loads of army people around there. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I've got to go, I've got to go, I need to go, don't it? And I mean, these two officers come in to the changing room, and and they come oh, into yeah. the changing room, and he goes, he goes, okay, don't. Don't, don't do that like that I said well oh, we yeah, well, just want you to walk down we're going to keep yeah. the crowds away yeah, well, well, <laughs> when they walk in they walk with him and he's like he's like so you, you're going to have to come with us and he's like okay I think he's getting arrested <laughs> and, they, and they go yeah you just have to walk with us because it's a bit crazy we've got to keep the crowds away from here and it's like oh and then the fact that when he's in the ring because at this time when he's in the ring he's AWOL from the army and he's in the ring and he's he's having the fight but he keeps looking at this bank of army guys sat <laughs> yeah, down yeah. there oh, the military and then one he goes oh, oh I gotta get out of here and he just goes <laughs> and knocks the guy out and runs off the ring <laughs> It's it's actually a very funny film, and like you know what you were saying about the bit where he's essentially courting who ends who ends up becoming his wife. Yeah, how he's kind of like you know yeah better walk into the subway. It's a bit dark around here. Uh, yeah, better get on the subway with you, <laughs> or I better walk into your front door. <laughs> and he just keeps, and how he and he he plays that really really well. And they have those moments that show the passage of time. Yeah, like where they have the daughter, and you were saying that. Because obviously he's a, he's a fighter. He's, he's getting, coming in bruised and he's, battered. And, and yeah. he comes in, or his face is all packed. And like the first of all, he brings, he comes in, and the girl is like, ah! yeah. and the mom is like, don't worry, it's just daddy. And then she comes back again, and he's like, ah! don't worry, it's just daddy. Then the final time, he, the girl's grown up, and he comes in, his wife looks at him, and she's like, ah! and the girl's like, don't worry, mommy, it's just daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you have all these touches in the film, and you have all these smaller characters, and you get the, you get a real sense of the community of Italian Americans oh, yeah. around there, and how everybody they're like so happy that he's doing well because if he's doing well, they see like they're doing well, yeah. and 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 you have the there's the character I can't remember his name, but he's the guy who owns the. The, the, sweet the, shop. the candy at yeah, the sweet shop, shop yeah. you know, where he always goes in for ice cream. Yeah. Who has and he has this lovely sort of monologue speech all about how if you're going to buy off if you're going to buy a soda, you got to you're going to have to pay for it. And he's using it as a metaphor like if you're going to do something bad in life, you can't you, you can't do something better than a wonder. Whoa, what's going on? Why is everybody annoyed at me? Why am I being locked up in jail? Uh, it's and it's 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 just really really nice. It makes me think a little bit of. If we're going to think about a modern day film that's a bit is uh, the fighter, which was released a couple oh, of years fighter. ago, yeah, 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 with yeah, which is which was so the Christian Bale one. That was the one with Christian Bale yes. as the brother. He was and, the, the and Mark brother Wahlberg. and Mark yeah. Wahlberg was the ex-boxer. Mark Wahlberg was the boxer. Yeah. And it's and in that one where it's all like, you know, the Boston neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's it, there's some similarities there. But you just end up falling in love with all these tiny characters that yeah. only just come across for a while. I love the relationship between him and his wife. I think that this is 
That's what I remember most about it is that the scenes between them more than the boxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the scenes with his. There's wife. not really massive amount of boxing in there, is there, it? There really? isn't massive amounts of boxing. I mean, there's some of the, the one of the major fights you only really ever hear on the radio. Yeah, like you like you, you see his the family. Big crowds, yeah, yeah, it's all the big crowds and listening to the radio. radio. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And no. you, you can just see them wincing and everything like that as as as. And I think that's actually quite cool because it shows what they're going through with him and without you actually ever seeing anybody hitting anybody. Yeah. And obviously, uh, I mean, no, people said that boxing on film was never really realistic until Raging Bull. Yeah. So, and there is there is bits, you're watching some of the fights and you do think, well, oh, that doesn't look that right. That didn't really land. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that doesn't look right. <laughs> but traditionally, though, I remember growing up, my dad used to always listen to the boxing on the radio. Mm-hmm. And he used to say, as a, when he was a, himself a, a young man, that's what they used to do. They used to listen, they had gather around the radio to listen to the boxing. So... It wasn't even when it was on the television. People tended to listen to it, and, and you'd get those descriptions of what yeah, was going on yeah. rather than what you see. Yeah. So I think that my dad still liked listening to the boxing more than watching it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but I think all in all, it's a very good film. It's, oh, it's a great film. Yeah. yeah. One thing I'll say about the about the um, relationship between the two is okay. So we have um, I know a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Spectre. Yeah, and we I think we agree that the, one of the things that we didn't quite like was like the whole bond and woman thing. There's like a love story there that doesn't seem that seems undercooked. Yeah, but I think like this this is how to do a love story. How you yeah. see two people and you actually really believe that okay no that there is definitely something and and I love the fact that they even focus on his wife and they focus on how she know she struggles with having to support him doing something that she doesn't entirely like. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it didn't. It wasn't his father. Wasn't his father a boxer or something? Yeah. The it? film actually. The film starts off with his father more or less playing around with him and kind of embarrassing him because his father's like, "Come on, throw a left, throw a left. Ah, what are you doing? Throw a left." And, it's, and that's how the film starts. And uh, then after that, they, it's kind of like the explanation of why he grows up the way uh-huh. he does. The because it starts off there, then it jumps to ten years later with the police chasing him. Because when he's a kid, policemen catch him on the street and they go, look at him. There he is. In another 10 years, he's just going to be another person in juvie. And then 10 years later, you see him running away from the police like as Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, uh, it's you know, but yeah, Tib, good choice. I think very, very good film. Yeah, um, good choice. One I didn't know existed. And yeah, I didn't expect, I've, as I said, I'd never seen Paul Newman like this before. It's, it's, um, it, uh, if, if for that it's for for that I think it's a hidden gem. It's the Paul Newman without the twinkle. Well, yeah. and he has a twinkle, but not the it, yeah. It's twinkle. it's not the Paul Newman twinkle. I think yeah. this was before Paul. I think this was before studios looked at Paul Newman and went, "This is how we use this guy. This yeah. is how we market him." Yeah, I think it was before that when he when he was still allowed to, I don't know, act. But but yeah, good film. Won two Oscars. Very 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 good. And um, now we get into the section of the show. Um, where uh, which we call exception to the rule, where Sean picks a film that he says was made after 1980s, but yet, yet is still a good film and can be mentioned in the same breath as any of these others that we talk about. So, Sean, what are we talking? What are we speaking this week? Well, this is one great movie, one terrific Daniel Day Lewis movie, um, and that's it's not a phrase you hear very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the Last of Mohicans, and. To me, it came to my just my head the other day, and I thought this is a film, and I think we might have mentioned it actually on an earlier show, one of oh. our really early shows. Okay, yeah. I think probably one of the first few. Um, and this film is like it's 
because I'm interested in military stuff as well, it's like uh, based around the Seven Years' War and yeah. um, takes place at Fort Henry. And basically, it's the story of the fort surrenders, and there's a there's a bit of a retreat, column of so, retreat. So, could you just give us a little bit, like, so the Seven Years' War? Where was it? All that kind of. Okay, yeah. Well, well, the Seven Years' War was basically it was they actually classed that as the first world war, um, the first actual world war, because it was uh, Britain, France, mm -hmm. and um, Holland, Sweden, Prussia. It was just you know everybody was fighting everybody, but particularly in the colonies in North America. Yeah, um, you had. The French and the British. Yeah. Now the French decided that they would actually fight more in Europe than they would in the colonies. Whereas, because we had because Britain had such a big navy, yeah. they weren't so much concerned with mainland Europe. So they decided to go for the colonies, and they took some some islands from the French and yeah. through from the Spanish. But most of the fighting took place around the Canadian um, sort of New York area. Yeah. So this is when basically Canada became became Britain. Um, you know, or, or part of the British Empire. Yeah, yeah. Then you, people got the, got the Queen heard, on their money. Yeah, would have heard of, of. I'm sure people would have heard of General Wolfe at Quebec when the massive battle there. But anyway, there was this French. This is this is basically based on a retreat from Fort Henry. So yeah. so there's a certain amount of fact to it, which is what I enjoyed. But let's get to the story because the film is just incredible. It's about uh, this like scout, uh, Indian half Indian scout that that scouts for the British. And um, this column that's retreating, it gets attacked by the Indians, but he manages to escape with a, with a few people, and it's a little bit of an adventure. And I mean, it's fab. The the scenery is fabulous. You know, it all takes place in in Canada, so there's forests and waterfalls yeah. and rivers, and the music's great. But the bit that I always remember, and I used this to chat up a girl once, was um, <laughs> there's a bit in the waterfall where they they they've been being chased by some Indians. And they go under a waterfall, but they obviously know, you know, we can't fight them. Our powder's wet. And he says to this girl, I still remember it, and it brings shivers. He goes, do you know which bit I'm talking about, Sharon? I do. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I don't it's know not my favourite right. bit, to be honest with you. That's, that, that's my favourite bit. He goes, you surrender, you hear me? You go north. You, you, you submit. You do whatever they want to do. I will find you. And it's just the... It's just... I. That sticks in my mind forever. And I was on the phone to that, and I was going, I was phoning this girl once. And I goes, I will find you, no matter how far, no matter how long, I will find you. So yeah, I didn't think it had much success. But hey, <laughs> <laughs> what's your favourite bit then, Sharon? Well, my favourite bit is actually the the un the underplayed almost story between the sister and his half brother, Alice and oh. Uncas. Now you speak to any girl out there who was a teenager when this came out and you say to them, Last the Mohicans and they'll say Alice and Uncas. I okay. almost guarantee it. What the girls, because, yeah? Girls, yeah. Because yeah. so, we went into Daniel Day Lewis and we went into Madeline Stowe. That romance was a bit too obvious. Yeah. It was the looks, it was just these couple of looks. That's all their romance is. It's like two looks where they look at each other and then one scene where he like she's crying and he just holds her and then at the very end yeah what, why did she do that she's captured and they're taking her away and you know they're going to sacrifice her because they don't want they're not going to keep her they're just yeah. going to and Uncas goes after her he knows it's probably going to be futile but he's going after her and so he goes after Uncas and after Alice and there's this very very moving scene where they just look at each other and they have that realisation that they don't gonna, they're not going to make it. Mm. And so Alice throws herself over the cliff. Oh, good Lord, I know this scene. 
and then Uncas he then fights on. No, no, he he fights on to the death first, and then he's killed and thrown over the cliff, and then Alice stops and looks, and she's you know, heartbroken that he's died. Yeah, and then the guy who's captured her like gestures her forward, like saying, "Come on, come on," and you know that he's gonna she's not going to survive so she looks at him she's got that realisation and then she just turns and takes that walk over the <laughs> yeah I, I think okay because but to be, me that's the emotional heart of the film is Alison Uncas because okay now this is a film I remember when it came out in 92 1992 and it became it was all the rage like everybody was like oh you gotta watch this film you gotta watch this yeah. film it was classified as an action movie and at that age at 12 I was all in about the action movies so I was like yeah and then you start watching it and you're like oh it's old and there's women wearing big massive dresses and yeah. everybody like they talk about gunpowder what the heck's that <laughs> and so so I never really really watched it. I just sort of, I kind of like was watching over my sister's shoulder as she was watching it and all that kind of stuff so I do know that I knew noticed that there were Native Americans I knew that there were Native Americans who were somehow working with the English and they were trying to get these two girls from one place to another yeah but, back to their father he's a general he's General Munro yeah and he's he, the head of the fort he got oh yeah that when when the when uh, they first take killed. them, when they oh, first when the take first. them, yeah, they're trying to get. That's when they first yeah. try to get across country to, and then they think they're safe at the fort, and then the fort surrenders, and then it all goes horribly wrong again uh, after that. And I know that there's there's like a mass there's there's a chase scene towards the end that I remember where it just seems, it's it seems like probably a bit where Lord of the Rings got some of the ideas from. Yeah, they're in canoes and they're across the water, then they go to the waterfall, and then. I, I just remember it's then it's the, essentially the poster of the movie is Daniel Day Lewis running, running towards the camera, and yeah. I feel like. This is the scene where they got that thing. It's just him running. And the music, yeah, about, the music yeah. is just fantastic. Like, doo, 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 doo. That's a, I was hoping you was going to play some music. I, I, oh, we do, we do have some oh, music. Have some we music. Have the, it is the main theme. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure whether it's the theme from this bit. I might be. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But it, but I just remember, I know everybody talks about it, and I feel like I need to go and watch it. You do. You really Especially do. Especially when you're at realize, the cinema. Hopefully they they release it at the cinema. Well, Maybe it's an anniversary cinematic or film. something. Yeah. Especially when you realize that it's directed by Michael Mann. Mm. And so Michael Mann, I'm he of Heat and all that kind of, and he the guy who created Miami Vice and everything like that. He's just like he's he's style. He's got yeah. a lot of style. And and uh, and I know and I know the bit of like I'd uh, the, and I remember there is a the shot blonde haired girl. Basically. Well, no, well, well, I can't remember what color her hair was, but I remember that there was a shot where it's a beautiful shot. And I guess I guess the fact that it's so beautiful makes it even more tragic in that. It's like, there's just this shot of this girl, like a long shot of her throwing herself off a cliff yeah. because she knows that bad things are about to happen to her. Yeah, she'd rather so, do that and yeah. than do whatever the engine's going to do to her. And I think her... The, is her sister watching? And her see, sister's watching on the other side of the cliff. Yeah, sees yeah. her fall over and her sister's crying, but then like yeah. Daniel Lewis grabs her sister and says, like, we need to get out they of here now. Way, yeah. So they, oh, he sees his this. brother die, which is Uncas, yeah. and then she sees her sister die, so Alice. But you can actually go on YouTube and you can see all of the Alice and Uncas scenes. There's loads <laughs> of videos, but it's just Alice is and Uncas. <laughs> and it's like all for people like me who are going, you know, yeah, mm, Daniel Taylor's, yeah. Yeah, don't but care about you guys. Alice and Uncas, I will, I'm there every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, grateful. Okay, so now we're going to have some music from The Last of Mohicans. Then we're going to talk, come back and talk about what we have seen in the cinema recently. And now this is a this is a piece of music just called Promontory. Don't know what that means, but here that's enjoy. probably the bit where Alice dies. Okay, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
Yeah. That I I I I, I was picturing the film in my head then. Like yeah. a bit that bit, you know, like Chan was saying about Lord of the Ring Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That particular bit I think is where they set off from the homestead to go to the fort and, mm-hmm. and it's like a big you know, the the camera pulls out and, and it's just them sort of walking along, walking towards the fort. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but that's the theme that runs all the way through it anyway. But uh, that's that that's the bit that come to my mind was when they set off before when they they're trying to reach their their father at the fort. I don't know about you, Sharon. What about you? Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, because my favourite bits in the film are just the, the Alice. Yeah. Bits. So, <laughs> oh, right, okay. I was just thinking. Yeah, when they climb up the waterfall and there's this one look that you think that look is just perfect right. look. Cool. And yeah, there's sort of those. For me, it's just like those moments where there's no speech and it's just these images that mm. Are mm. what resonate the most um, yeah yeah so uh, it's actually apparently it's part of a series it was based on a book by a guy called James, James Fenimore, Fenimore Cooper, Cooper. Yeah. there was an earlier version but it was slightly different oh, slightly right. different yeah with um, Gary Cooper yeah Hawkeye Hawkeye yeah Gary <laughs> Cooper in it but the same sort of thing canoes and stuff but Gary Cooper played you know it was it was very much old style yeah, uh, there is uh, even nowadays. I mean, one of one of one of the things that's becoming a bit of a bugbear for me is when you have, um, when you have white actors playing people of other ethnicities in films. Mm. But yeah. but the fact that it's Daniel Day Lewis, I've got to admit that with uh, this is the first thing I think I ever saw him in, and it took me ages to figure out where the heck that guy was from, because he has a kind of look that could pass for a whole bunch of different things. So, yeah. yeah. And he and, and the thing is that the fact that he throws himself so much into every role that he has that he kind of becomes it. So he, he's he uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I'd say he's he's almost above <laughs> above, yeah. above people going, "Oh, that's just racist." Well, but it's I Dan think in Lewis. Last okay. he can he's like an orphan who was raised by I, um, by Uncas and his father. I think I don't think he's native or he's half native. I think he's All right. he was an orphan who was raised right. by them. Okay, oh. I, I I I liked him in um, Gangs of New York. Because ah. yeah, I said I was a bit mean dies, about eh? Daniel Day Lewis earlier, but he is in my favourite film, which is The Room with a View. Yeah, um, yeah. He plays in a feet fop in it, but yeah. he is. It is one of my favourite all time ever ever films. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yes, love that film. Fields and cornfields and, and Julian yeah. Sands and Helena Bonham <laughs> Carter and yeah. cornfields and gingham. There's <laughs> no gingham in. <laughs> Toes in, toes in, toes in. There's a difference. <laughs> Your well, fashion, I'm going to have to teach you about historical costume, obviously. Okay, well, so was it corsets, bodices? Bodices, yeah. There's a okay. bodice there, there's a corset there, but no gingham in sight. All That's right. Oklahoma. Think Oklahoma, think gingham. All right. Think white lawn dresses for Room of the View. Hmm. All right. Okay, never mind. We will continue that later. <laughs> we will continue that later. But that's about all that we have time for. Until next week, please do take it easy. Get well soon. Listen to your doctors. Get home. Watch some movies. And remember that as always, guys all together, they don't make them like they used to.